been going through a series on Nehemiah, and it's titled God's Emerging Future. And for those who missed last week's diagram or needs a little further explanation, I'm going to just briefly show the diagram again. Um, and just a small explanation um, that also was shared last week. First of all, God knows all. Um, I think we hear that and we know that through Scripture. He knows absolutely what the future holds, what His plans are for the future. We're given that to us in Scripture as well. The future is absolute for God. But from our perspective, sometimes the future in following His will sometimes just feels off the map. It actually is off the map. The G's not even there. Great. The future is absolute for God, but sometimes it's beyond our understanding. It seems to go beyond our reach. Our finite minds think differently than God's infinite mind. So from our perspective, God's future is emerging. God's emerging future means that we're discerning as to where God is leading us. He's leading us from our current reality to where we are now to his emerging future. Meaning that we're to discern to where he desires us to be, where we're called, what we're called to do, where we're called to go. We're, we're, we're to discern that as individuals and to discern that as a church body in obedience to God's will. So the book of Nehemiah that we're going through is about God's emerging future for the people of Judah and also relating it for his people today. Currently for the people of Judah, part of their obedience to God's will is to rebuild the city walls despite of the opposition that appears or that is there in real. So this morning we're going to read from Nehemiah 6 verses 1 through 19. And you can turn to your Bibles to Nehemiah 6. I was warning some people next week we're doing Nehemiah 7. There's 73 verses to Nehemiah 7. So maybe you want to do some (laughs) pre-reading. But Nehemiah 6 is where we're uh, reading from this morning. 1 through 19. Before we do, let's come to God in prayer. God, we're just grateful for this opportunity again to be in your presence with your people to read from your word, to hear your message that you're speaking to us through Old Testament words, ancient words that still apply to us and are so real for us today, that speak words of grace and truth to us today. So Holy Spirit, you are in this place and we pray that we are open to your words that you'll be speaking to us this morning, into our hearts, into our minds, through our ears. Lord, just open our, yeah, open us to what it is that you're speaking to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah 6. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let's meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. And then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter, in which was written, It's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. 
Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let's meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabal, who was shut in as his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run to save his life? I will not go. And I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was a son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Era, and his son Johanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds, and then telling him what I said, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. This story in Nehemiah chapter 6 tells us nothing new really. Because we've already talked in previous messages and previous chapters that threats and oppositions, both external and internal, are real. That the devil is attempting to distract God's people or to derail people from God's will. He's tempting to turn our hearts and our priorities away from Jesus and from his church. In chapter 4, we read that outside enemies attempted to derail the plans of construction of the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. And the enemies didn't succeed. The Lord prevailed. The Lord has frustrated the plans of the enemy. You can read that in 4 verse 15. So the devil turns from this, and turns from the outside distractions for the time being. And he attempts to, to use the inside resources. Last week we read in chapter 5 that the people themselves were in much disarray. They turned inwards to themselves and they were not sharing with their finances and possessions. But by God's grace, Nehemiah was used to stop the self-centeredness and to get the people to promise an oath to God and to one another, all the while continuing their praise to God. And again, the Lord prevailed and the building project continued It seems that whenever people are on track with doing God's will, there will be opposition. The devil is set on preventing growth to God's kingdom. And here in chapter 6, there are threats and opposition again. In addition to looking at the opposition in this chapter, we're also going to look at who Nehemiah is in the face of opposition. How he responds when opposition occurs. And then we're going to take that to today. 
How do we respond when we are confronted with opposition? How do we respond in times of tension, in times of conflict, in times of high anxiety? And that's a big question that we are all asked in Ritter Church Renewal Journey that, that we are on as a team and as a congregation. The question that is asked, although it's not grammatically correct, is who you be. Who you be in the context of opposition. Who you be in the context of high anxiety. Our true colors or default colors will begin to show when we are under stress, when we're under pressure, when there's high anxiety. And some people, they can deal with this quite well. We see that with Nehemiah in today's chapter. Many others find it difficult to function properly under these circumstances. And how we can properly respond, there's a term for that. And it's referred to a self-differentiation. I'm not going to go too much into it, but self-differentiation deals with the effort to define oneself, to control oneself, to be a more responsible person, to permit others to be themselves as well. Through self-differentiation, we learn to stay on track, to stay focused on the vision. Rather than going here or going there based on whatever reaction and response to opposition, to opposition and anxiety is. Nehemiah was self-differentiated. We can read that he seemed to be able to control himself. It didn't matter how the opposition around him behaved and responded. I mean, how they behave, how they respond, that's their own responsibility. But Nehemiah seemed to be able to respond with wisdom, with patience and responsibility. In the first few verses, we hear about Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem. We hear about them again and the rest of the enemies. And the first threat that's brought to our attention in this chapter was through compromise. Sanballat and Geshem sent Nehemiah a message stating, come on, let's, let's just meet together, maybe in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. And they make it sound like there's this going to be this friendly meeting when they say, let's meet together. Let, let's just kind of hang out. And up to this point, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem opposed the building project. They were enemies. And now they appear to cooperate. Come on and join our team, Nehemiah. We haven't always agreed, but let's just be friends. Let's try to see eye to eye. And they were luring Nehemiah to compromise to their terms. And they set up this meeting place. Now, just being in Nehemiah's shoes for a moment, I mean, you'd think it'd be kind of natural for Nehemiah to just get discouraged. This is happening again. And his enemies now are plotting to kidnap him and perhaps even kill him. The wall might be done as, as we read, but the doors hadn't, hadn't been set in, in the gates yet. And so the enemy could just take out this Jewish leader and before the full completion takes place. And then it can eventually take over this city. How did Nehemiah respond? Who was he in this situation? Well, Nehemiah first had discernment that, that they were scheming to harm him. And Nehemiah sent a reply, I'm carrying on a great project. I can't go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah sensed trouble. And yet he had wisdom. He had discernment in his reply. 
And the enemy was persistent. And they sent this message four times. And each time Nehemiah replied confidently and consistently, why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? He knew what it was to be obedient to God. And it was the fifth time that Sanballat also then sent an unsealed letter. Now you need to know that usually letters were delivered as sealed. And the contents can only be revealed to the recipient of the letter. But this letter was sent unsealed. Which was intentional. And it was meant to be public information. An unsealed letter meant that anybody along the way could read it. The deliverer would read it. He would share it perhaps with others. Sanballat expected the deliverer and anyone else in between to know about the context of this falsified letter. So there was this other threat now. This attempt to assassinate his character through rumors. Through this way of the letter, unsealed letter. And the problem with rumors is that people believe them. Rumors are also Satan's weapon. And this letter was a no-win situation for Nehemiah because if he refused to go to Ono, and then it would look like he's trying to hide something. People might be wondering, hmm, what's going on with Nehemiah? Or there could very well be an assassination of his character. If he went to Ono, the work would be held up again, as he said, and he could also possibly be assassinated, not only his character, but him physically. But Nehemiah doesn't get discouraged. And he doesn't cave into their schemes. He doesn't even attempt to please them in their request. Nehemiah again stays convicted to his original plan and he's not concerned about his reputation and the, and the possible rumors that are going about. And Nehemiah again went to God in prayer. He stood his grounds. He turned to the Lord. So Nehemiah's enemies try one more attempt to threaten him. Tobiah and Sanballat hire a false prophet, Shemaiah, to convince Nehemiah to run for his life because people are trying to kill him. The enemy was now using insiders again to attack. They were using them to attack Nehemiah to create a fear, a fear that would distract him from his work, from the work that God called him to. You see, you've got to remember, Nehemiah, chapter 1, we read that he left had this good position as a cupbearer for the king. He traveled to thousands of kilometers to Jerusalem because he felt called to help his people. And now, he's a target for assassination. We heard through the children's message this morning, too, how a, a tree higher up will get pounded with the elements of weather and, and other things. And people tend to get pounded with elements of whatever's going on around them, their circumstances. And this made Nehemiah stronger. But you'd think that would, it would have created this fear, a strong fear that distracts him from the work. The waters around him were appearing to rise higher and higher. But Nehemiah wasn't scared. Nehemiah again showed discernment. That Shemaiah was not from God. Rather, he too was from the enemy. And he maintained his integrity in this situation. And Nehemiah didn't permit the threats and opposition to deter him from the mission that he was called to do. And as difficult as things were for him, he was self-differentiated. 
he maintained obedience for God and for God's will. Let's jump ahead now. A few centuries. We jump ahead to the New Testament. Jesus had much opposition and threats. Jesus Christ himself was distracted by the devil. He was led into temptation in the desert. He was ridiculed. He was challenged by the educated Pharisees and Sadducees and and lawyers and priests. He was judged by Pontius Pilate. And he stayed focused on the will of his Father in heaven. He stayed focused on his mission to seek and to save the lost, to heal the sick, to free the imprisoned. Jesus was self-differentiated. He was able to control himself, to know who he was, despite the pounding of the opposition and the circumstances around him. Jesus kept focus on God's plans, and he did this all the way to the cross. And it wasn't an easy life, but it was an obedient life. So how self-differentiated are we? Who do you be in certain situations? Here we have an example of Nehemiah. We're given examples of Jesus throughout the scriptures. And we need to follow these examples of Christ and Nehemiah. Nehemiah who had a close relationship with God. Throughout scripture, there are several incidents for us to reflect on how we behave, how we respond to criticism and to disagreement, to challenges that come upon us. Again, in the Ritter Church Renewal, we're often given certain situations or scenarios to work with. But more so, we're expected to look at situations in our own life. And then we're always encouraged to ask, what's going on inside of me? And why? And this helps us to better understand who God is calling us to be in Christ reflecting on the scenario and the circumstances of, when, of who we be in situations. In any context, whether it's family, church, work, school, when chronic anxiety gets added to this context, there's typically four types of responses or behaviors. And some of these may be familiar to you. And the responses are simply symptoms. They're not the problem. The problem's often inside of us. But with these symptoms, the hope is that we're able to discern what's going on in our hearts. One behavior that we often respond to in in times of anxiety or times of conflict is actually more conflict. You might come forward, let's say you come forward to me kind of wagging your finger and, and saying, going like that. And I know then from that response that there's something going on. There's a conflict to begin. And I might respond being defensively. And creating another conflict. That's one type of response. Another behavior is to distance and to run away from the problem. You might see somebody coming down the street. You walk on the other side. Or at church, you tend to just head to the washroom or you stay out of the gym or stay out of this area. Distancing ourselves. You've heard of the fight and the flight. The conflict is the fight. The distancing is the flight. This can also be seen in trying to keep the peace where in an anxiety situation we'll try to just do whatever needs to be done to keep the peace, whether it's right or wrong. Another response is to overfunction or underfunction. You can see this often between spouses where one spouse compensates perhaps for the other in certain situations, tries to accommodate. And the final response is to try to project our anxiety on a third person. 
It's like me, I'll go to somebody and say, oh, never guess what just happened to me with that person. Now, there are times that we need to share with another party, but often just reflect on when we're sharing. Perhaps we're trying to release our anxiety and we're putting it onto another person. And perhaps you see some of these in your own life, perhaps in different situations you respond differently. Nehemiah, in this chapter, he didn't respond with any of these behaviors. He responded in obedience. He responded to going to God in prayer. But sometimes we'll say, well, you know, that's just the way I am. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because God desires to transform our hearts, to transform our minds, to change us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, His Son. We can grow, we can change, we can transform through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 1 through 2, and the latter part of the verse is up there, but I'll begin with verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, this goes back to that original diagram that we saw in the beginning of the message where the current reality, that's where we are now and this journey that we're on seeking God's emerging future it begins with small changes in our lives just take the example of an ocean liner crossing a large sea the ocean liner simply has to change its course just slightly and when it does it would end up in a totally different spot The impact of a slight difference in our life can often go unnoticed initially, but over time can be enormous. Life-changing movements can, can be taken slow, one degree at a time. But this is something that we don't need to do on our own. This is something that we can't do on our own. Transformation takes the power of the Lord. We sang the words this morning. Lord, I need you. I need you every hour. On April 7 and 8, our church, along with three other churches, will be hosting a Ritter Church Renewal Retreat called Faith Walking 101. Now, it's an opportunity to, first of all, try to figure out what all this Ritter stuff that I'm talking about is. I know many of you have questions. But more importantly, it's an opportunity to make small changes in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an initial small step. It's a practical retreat which God can use to bring about transformation into our hearts and our lives. So I just want to point out to the brochures that were handed out in your church mailbox. If you don't have a mailbox, there's brochures at the back of the church and extra copies are there. Please prayerfully consider registering for this event as a resource to bring transformation to our lives. Because God desires for us to be obedient. God desired Nehemiah to be obedient. And what do we read? The walls were completed in 52 days. It was the Lord who provided Nehemiah the wisdom to respond courageously and obediently. Nehemiah was convicted that the project of rebuilding was the Lord's work. And on account of this, the walls were completed. Despite the opposition. Despite the tensions. The Lord prevails. You see, enemies in opposition will come our way. But the enemy needs to know that opposing God, it's a losing battle. And by God's grace, Nehemiah was a man of conviction, a man of prayer. 
through God's strength, Nehemiah and the Israelites were able to press on to the completion of this building project. Victory was accomplished. And victory was accomplished through the opposition to Jesus as well. Victory was accomplished at the cross. Now, the opposition killed Jesus, but Jesus conquered death. And he pressed on towards his Father's will. It is by God's grace that we too will be given the strength to stand up against any opposition and press on towards with God's will. God's will provides us wisdom. And God's work and his mission will prevail. And God's work will come to fruition. And we too can be self-differentiated like Nehemiah, like Jesus. Be in control of our responses. Again, not being in control of others, but how we respond in Christ. And yes, there will be continued challenges and disappointments and threats in our lives. There will be times that we go back to those four default responses. But by God's grace and his forgiveness, we praise him and we press on. God is on our side. Wisdom and discernment comes from the Lord. And the Lord prevails. And he will work transformation through his people, through the power of his Holy Spirit. Later, we're going to be introduced to a song that the waters will rise. And through it all, we need to continue to trust in the Lord to guide us. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, there is opposition in this world. And we see it in our lives and in our churches as well. But forgive us for when we create opposition. Forgive us when we don't respond appropriately and God honoring to opposition. Through transforming power of your Holy Spirit, may we be aware of who we are in times of opposition and who you created us to be. May we respond with wisdom and holiness, even when our default might be something else. May we put our trust in you to guide us. May we put our trust in your word and in your spirit. It is only in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.